What's going on, everyone, and welcome to the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita. Sports are not being played. Today is May 17th, 2020. The finale of the Last Dance documentary is tonight, and I will be podcasting on the series finale tomorrow with Evan Myers and Daniel Setsky. That'll be a lot of fun. But with no sports currently being played, we shift our eyes over to the world of reality TV. I know there was a lot of focus on Survivor this past week. The Ringer went a little crazy and had a Survivor week over there uh, on The Ringer. And so today we are going to talk about the Survivor Season 40 finale. We will look back on a historic season in a lot of ways. We'll share our thoughts on the season. I have a couple of excellent guests joining me right now, both Valparaiso University graduates. First, uh, let me bring in a guy who previewed the season with me just a few months back. Feels like it's been just a couple weeks, and it's also felt like it's been a couple years, right, Aaron, (laughs) at the same time? Aaron Levitt? It's good to be back and good to kind of wrap up the season. And I like how you mentioned the last stance because, you know, over the past couple months of this quarantine, you know, you kind of lose track of what day of the week it is. But, you know, when when Survivor was on, you knew it was Wednesday. And when the last stance was on, you knew it was Sunday. And <laughs> yeah. everything else in between, it really didn't matter what day it was. But you had kind of those two linchpins. So, you know, I, I was excited for the season Survivor. And, you know, I think it, it was it was a good one. I, I don't necessarily think it was the best season ever, but it definitely <laughs> was something enjoyable in these times to be able to kind of set my watch to once a week and enjoy. Absolutely. I, we will have a very fun conversation about that. So that is the Media Relations Director, Aaron Levitt, Valparaiso University. Our second guest, uh, we're going to have a fun little dialogue here. Just a few of us big-time Survivor fans who've been there since the early days of the show. She has not been on the Jack Vita show before, but we have worked together and podcasted together. Amy Vander Hayden joins me right now, good friend of mine. Amy, do you remember when we did that Periscope preview show for Survivor Cambodia almost five years ago? Yes, we were in like the lounge room of Berg, on, yes. like on Valpo's <laughs> campus, and I remember like before that I was talking to my roommate. And I was like, "Jack knows so much more than me." Like I was sitting there studying to make sure like I didn't sound a mess. <laughs> you did a good job. It was good. Thank you. Hey, I'll be honest, Amy. I had I had a uh, prepared material before the preview show for this year that I taped with Jack, <laughs> just to make sure I could keep up with him. Honestly, it feels like preparing to like do like. Uh, play-by-play or color for a game like I'm writing all these notes like this person played with this person and this was my favorite season because this and my favorite player is this because this and this happened like I felt like I was prepping for a game (laughs) that's hilarious and that's awesome Amy uh have you been enjoying the last dance as well yes I have not watched last Sunday's so later today I'm gonna watch those two before tonight's two but I love it. I have loved it so much because like, and Jack, you know this, like growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, obviously you're raised as like a Bulls fan, but like I was born in 94. So I was born after like the first set of championships and was alive for the second set. But I mean, I'm a toddler. I don't really remember anything. 
Yeah. So like seeing all the behind the scenes stuff that as a kid, I never really realized happened. I just like remember that when the Bulls won, my dad would go outside and shoot off fireworks. Like <laughs> that's what I remembered. <laughs> so like it's nice to see everything else that like happened behind the scenes. It's been so cool. I'll tie this back to what Aaron was talking about to have these two shows and they're both coincidentally ending at the same exact time, which is a bummer. Cause it's like, what are we going to watch until <laughs> potentially baseball comes back? If it comes back, we'll see what happens, but it's, it's just been so great. And it's been really cool to see. Cause I know all of us with Amy, you and I being Chicago kids and, Aaron just being a big-time sports historian. Aaron knows so much about the history of basketball, and he's also a few years older than us, so he can remember some of the Jordan era a little better than we can. But there are a lot of young people who are finding out about a lot of this stuff for the first time, and it's been cool to see the reaction to that. Just people learning about Gary Payton or Clyde Drexler and some of those awesome faces of the 90s. Oh, and I also find it's been like the closest thing to a sporting event in yeah. that, you know, when you get these, you know, whether it's Survivor or The Last Dance and, you know, you're on your second screen, you're on Twitter and everyone's watching and you're like live tweeting about it. It's really the closest thing to following a live sporting event we've had during this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was thinking the same exact thing. So let's get into the Survivor stuff now. And let me ask you guys first. I'll start with you, Aaron. Where did you... I I know, personally, I know both of your stories with when you started watching Survivor and that you guys have been watching for a very long time, as have I. But briefly, I want to hear how you began watching Survivor and uh, how you've maintained watching the show for as long as possible. Did You started with Borneo, right? I did. Um, if I remember correctly, probably somewhere around episode three or four of Borneo. Wow. I don't remember exactly. Um, but, but yeah, pretty much since the beginning. And, you know, the first few was just like, oh, the show's on TV. And then I remember um, episode around episode eight or nine, my dad saw like I was enjoying the show and he brought home a newspaper from work that had an article about the Survivor Sucks website and what they were trying to do to spoil the show. And this piqued my interest, and it was, you know, from that point on, I was, like, immersed in the online community. I didn't jump right in both feet right away. I was more, like, I was a bystander onlooking, but, like, that kind of stuff really intrigued me that, okay, it's not just what we're seeing on TV, but trying to spoil what happens or trying to use logic to deduce what's going to happen. And so I really midway through the first season is when I really got hooked on it. Um, there've been a couple points along the way that I've kind of trailed off a bit just because, you know, whether it's work stuff being on yeah. Wednesday nights and not allowing me to watch So there's been a couple stretches where I've dropped off for a few seasons, but then I jump back right back in and, you know, go back and binge what I've missed and catch up and, you know, I was glad that this last season, like, I'm able to, again, be a part of the kind of live watching experience of it. And Amy, you started with, I, I if I'm remembering correctly, you started with Australian Outback? Yep, season two. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
I remember, so my family, we started watching Big Brother before Survivor. And there was, like, an episode of Big Brother. It was, like, towards the end. It was, like, the last four people on Big Brother. And they brought on the last four castaways from season one of Survivor for, like, a Big Brother Survivor um, competition on Big Brother. And we saw that, and we're like, oh, that show looks really cool. (laughs) So when season two started, we're like, okay, we should watch this. And so that's where it started for me, was actually watching Big Brother. (laughs) that's awesome yeah and for me it was also it was i think the borneo finale is really the only one that i can remember i probably saw some bits and pieces here and there from earlier in the season but it's actually an interesting story the summer of 2000 i was turning six years old and my parents wanted us kids to spend a lot of time outside and keep in mind this is before smartphones, before the internet is what we know it as today. So it's kind of hard to imagine this in today's modern era. But my parents had a rule where they said no TV, no video games for the whole summer because we want you guys outside. We want you guys playing. The only exception to this rule is if my parents were watching something already and they put it on the TV. So the only things I watched that summer were Cubs games and Survivor. And I think uh, that (laughs) has contributed to my obsession with both of those uh, topics since. Let's dive in. Let's tackle the question. You brought it up, Aaron, uh, in in our little preamble there about this being potentially a lot. Some people talking about it being the greatest season ever. I am not in the school of thought that it was. Jeff Probst is. What are your initial thoughts looking back at winners at war as a whole well, i will say like jeff as a executive producer obviously <laughs> yeah. even if he doesn't necessarily believe it he's gonna you know the hype behind the season going in like he, he's gonna tout it as the greatest even if maybe he doesn't think so but <laughs> um you know it i think it turned out well i don't know if i'd put it on my top 10, it might be on the edge of my top 10. I'd have to go back and look. I haven't tried ranking the seasons or going back and finding my rankings and seeing, okay, is this better than my number 10? Um, overall, I was a little disappointed, you know, given that I come from the old school and that's yeah. kind of, you know, those, my favorites kind of tend toward the old school. Um, I was a little disappointed with how the old schoolers seem to, go out one after another early on. And I mean, I don't think it was anything malicious, you know, the game happens organically and, you know, sometimes a snowball gets rolling and next thing you know, it's, it's all season 21 and on out there. Um, But no, I, I thought I enjoyed it. Like there was no point during this season where I'm like, Oh, do I really want to watch next week? Um, You know, I wanted to see what was going to happen. And, you know, I liked the fact that, you know, there there was the strategy, some flipping, but then you had some alliances that stayed strong all the way through, uh, which is kind of an old school type of type of gameplay to to find your favorites and stick with them. And so, you know, o- overall, it was a good season, I believe. Amy, what do you think? I think it cracks my top ten. I don't think it cracks my top five, though. Like, I I, I found it a very entertaining season. And like Aaron, I wanted to keep like I wanted to watch next week to see what happens. 
But like for me, my favorite seasons are seasons with like a whole new set of castaways. Yeah. Like people we've never seen before. Those are my favorite seasons. I'm not as big of a fan of like the seasons of like fan versus favorites or when like the season when Ozzy and Coach came back just, you know, to have them <laughs> yeah. back. Like I'm not a fan so much of those seasons because I want to see all new players. But this season, like it brought back some of my absolute favorite players. So that was nice. So, but I think it was a good season. It just wasn't, I don't think it was the absolute best season that they've had. I will say in regards to like the returning player seasons, I think this one works because everyone is, I mean, granted some people played more than others, but out of any of the returning player seasons, this is the closest everyone has been to being on an even playing field yes. going into one of them. When right. you do fans favorites, obviously the favorites have the advantage. Or when you bring back three people, those three have an advantage. Even back to the original All-Stars, numerous people said going in, they, Jenna Lewis, for most among them, yeah. said the winners are not going to get far. We're voting them out. Whereas this, you know, and the only other thing I could maybe compare it to is if they did a returning player season of all first boots. Like, yeah. I would love okay, that every, season. I would love everyone, that. Yeah, everyone in this game has done, everyone has won. Now, granted, in this game, there were people who've played four times, people who've only played once, but it's not like, okay, this person has won and this person hasn't, so we can't let the winner win again. So, yeah. so I think out of all the returning player seasons, I like that like they were close to an even playing field going into this. And even that, like going into it, I thought that would like the players who had played more than others would have more of a connection, and they really didn't. Like early on, if you like watch the first couple episodes, it's the the faction of the poker player alliance because they all played poker together that one time. Like I felt like that didn't really have a factor in it. Well, I would say it had a factor. It just had a negative impact on okay, them, yeah. which I think Aaron was alluding to a little bit. That's w the biggest problem. And there are several problems with all-star seasons in general. I think, first of all, I'm going to quote Mario Lanza here, who Aaron and I both really enjoy talking about all-star seasons being sort of like an all-star game for sports where they're, ultimately an exhibition game they're not really the real deal with something survivor related survivor is about strangers who don't know each other creating a community and when people come in with pre-existing relationships pre-existing targets realistically Aaron and I talked about this before the season we're like Boston Rob doesn't have a chance because he is the most famous cast member in this cast and everyone's going to want to put his head on a platter. He's not on a tribe with his friends. So unfortunately, there are some people who are just very handicapped. However, I will agree that the fact that they all were winners, I do think this was so much better than the last All-Star season we had, which was Game Changers, which was probably my least favorite season. <laughs> And I think you look at it in terms of, too, like, okay, you've got all winners. Like, who would have predicted Natalie would have been the first one voted out yeah. of anyone? You know, and th that, I think, set the tone right off the bat. Hey, like, this isn't predetermined going in based on, you know, what you've done in the past. Like, and, I mean, I think we all would have agreed, like, Tony would have been more likely to be first off than Natalie. 
Yeah. And so I, that, that really set the tone for me in that, okay, it's not going to be some kind of predetermined bloodletting out here. Like it, it's going to be an interesting game. But it's interesting after, after Natalie was voted out, every other person was an old school player. Yeah. Yeah. And there like, were, there were eight straight, all eight people who played before season 20 went out as the next eight boots. And it was, it was sort of annoying to me to hear the narrative that Jeff Probst was talking about. Oh, they, they can't adapt to the new school and the game so fast, but there were going into the season, there were 12 people who played after season 20 and only eight. So they were outnumbered from the get go. Yeah. And, but again, like, I don't think it's not necessarily that they went in with the idea of, okay, we have to get out all the old schoolers, which I think is the difference when you look back right. at like the original all-stars where it was like, we have to get rid of the winners. Right. You know, I think this was more organic and, you know, the old schoolers, honestly, you talk about the stars. Okay. Rob and Amber, you know, cause you can't talk Rob without Amber. They've yeah. got the targets on their back. Sandra, yes. like anyone was going to let Sandra try to win a third time. Parvati's obviously been talked up all this time as right. you know, one of the best females of all time. And then, like, who had the biggest target of the, quote, new schoolers? Like, Tony? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're, you've got four of the old schoolers right there who, I, I guess maybe I'm arguing against my old po own point here, <laughs> but four of the old schoolers who theoretically had bigger targets on their back than any of the new schoolers. And I, yeah, they were four of the first ones out. But again, like, Parvati lasted past like Danny and Ethan, the old schoolers who I think he would have looked at them as, okay, these are people who haven't been as involved in the game who might have more of a chance to assimilate. So. Yeah. And I think the other thing is like Tyson was guilty by association with his friendship with Rob and even Tyson is someone the season he won was season 27. So he's, he's won more recently than Tony has. Or no, sorry, Tony. Tony won the season after he did, but he won more recently than Denise and Sophie had. But he was guilty by association with him and Rob just being best friends. And then I think the other thing with Ethan was it's it just is unfortunate. I think because the show was at the height of its popularity back then, that I think naturally those people just have a bigger piece of history in the place of survivor history i guess is how i'd say it yeah i get, i could i could see that and i don't know that it, it didn't necessarily i don't think that necessarily came out through the show yeah through what we saw on tv but i mean yeah you look at it, africa was what the second most watched season i believe after yeah. australia obviously yeah. borneo had the big finale but it really had to build to it so yeah you're Plus, with Ethan, you had the whole the sympathy factor as well if he got yeah. anywhere near the end of the game. Yeah, so for me, this season, I enjoyed it. Here's what I'll say. I think we're all in agreement that this wasn't the best season, and we all enjoyed it from a week-to-week -week basis. I wasn't quite as high as maybe you guys are in terms of ranking it. I'd probably have it somewhere in the middle. In the If I were to rank the seasons, it'd be somewhere in the 20s for me. I do think it was probably the best returning player season 
in terms of an all-star type of season. I'm not factoring in seasons like Guatemala or Philippines or where you have like just a couple of returning players. But in terms of an all-star season, I think this one and second chances played out the most organically and worked out the best. Um, but having said that, I mean, I do ultimately enjoy the old school seasons. I think one of the big things this season was lacking. It was a big time bummer at the start when, as we talk about, the old school people went out so quickly I think it it's just a bummer that the game I it feels like we don't have enough time to focus on the people as people. It doesn't feel as personal as older seasons of Survivor did. And there were some great moments. It was entertaining and Tony was just awesome TV from week to week. He was so funny, but at the same time, I just miss seeing those personal relationships forming and what is bringing people together and the funny scenes of people talking about stuff around camp. And that was lacking and there was a greater focus on fire tokens and twists. And I I got to say, I do not like the tribal council whispering one bit. <laughs> oh, I hated that. That, that. I feel like that was one of those things that once... Like it's one of yeah. those when it happens for the first time, it's like, oh my goodness, what they're they're doing this like, and then when it's happening three or four straight weeks, it's like you're basically negating all the strategy talk you just saw the previous. <laughs> yeah. Like, why why does anyone strategize at camp? Just wait till you get till tribal, listen to what Jeff asks, and then figure it out there. Well, that the tribal council where Denise said, I'm done with this. We're done. Like, I was like, thank you. <laughs> I was getting because it was it was ridiculous because now that's the, the entire focus of tribal council is no longer Jeff says a thing. Someone says a thing that's really cryptic and everyone freaks out and just sits there and ponders <laughs> to themselves. Now it's everyone get up this alliance. Go stand in a corner. We're going to figure this out. And like what? I forget what alliance it was where all of a sudden one of them gets up and says, okay, you, you, and you, let's go over here and talk. This is tribal oh, council. See, what are you doing? I'll say like, that was Sophie who did that. I'm like, yeah, I kind of love that. Like, she's like, okay, enough of this, like one-on-one -on -one whispering, I'm getting my four and we're going to figure this out. And we're going to be, we're going to be voting. I mean, I don't want to see it all the time, but in terms of, okay, if they're going to do this, that's, from a gameplay point, that's the smartest thing to do. Why, why whisper to one person, then whisper to another, then whisper to a third while the first person's whispering to someone else? Like, just get your, okay, if you're going to be allowed to do it by Jeff, why not? Hey, the four of you, come over here. We're going to figure this out. I'm amazed he let it go on as much as it did. Yeah, it's like... It's so weird how Jeff produces the show now because in the early days, I know Aaron was recently watching some of the older seasons. The final four of Marquesas, season four, there's a point, and I won't spoil the season because I know there are a lot of people who are newer fans of the show, and you should go and check out these old seasons because they're awesome. Season four, there's a point where they're at the final four, and they might have a tie vote and someone says, hey, can we go have a side conversation? And Jeff says, no, that you had all afternoon to talk about this stuff. This is an open forum and it needs to be treated as such. And I think that if they were going to try to change a vote at tribal council, it would be so much more interesting to us, the viewers, 
if we heard these people talking it out at tribal council, it would get kind of wild, but it could be kind of funny. It could be much more interesting. But the problem with the whispering is the viewers are just left in the dark. We have no idea what they're talking about. And it's just, I think we all see the whispering as a waste of time. Well, I wondered so many times, how many times did the vote actually change because of the whisper? Right. Like, did all the whispering decide, nope, we're voting X instead of Y, even though they came in saying, we're going to vote this person out, and then whispers happened and changed it? Like, I would want to know how many times did that actually change something? I'm guessing it's more like giving people a sense of relief. Like, okay, like, this doesn't change anything, right? I'm guessing more of it is that, like, hey, we're, we're still good with what we're going to do, right? Okay, yeah. But yeah. it, it's, I did like, and maybe it was because they heard the complaints, but I believe the last tribal council with the whispering, I forget which one it was, but they actually closed caption pretty much all of the whispering in it. Whereas before they weren't doing that as much. So I kind of wonder if the producers saw the complaints like, hey, all of this is going on. We don't know what's happening. And at least like threw that in there to kind of help out. Yeah, and Jeff was like, there was one point where he was trying to add like a horse racing broadcaster voice and trying to make a joke out of it. It was that, so bizarre. That was really odd. It was funny. It was like, like was someone? Would, did anyone laugh at it? Like, did the jury laugh? I don't know. They didn't show no. the jury, so we don't know. But it was just a mess. Like tribal council became such a mess. Uh, it would have been more of a mess if uh, Adam pulling on the podium actually had resulted <laughs> in being an idol because then every tribal council after that, everyone would have been grabbing everything. I loved I loved that he tried that. I thought that was, I was laughing so hard when that happened. Well, I guess there was a, like, Adam's obviously a super fan and not just of the U.S. version, like the international versions and I haven't gotten into the international versions. That's something like I might try to this summer catch a couple of the better ones. But from what I understand, one of the international versions had something similar where like this totem on the front of the host podium at tribal council was an immunity idol. And so if he would have seen that and knowing, Hey, like if he knows he's going home anyway, why not give it a shot? Yeah, I heard about that too, and I get—I just got to say, I loved Adam this season. I thought it, he was so fun and so funny, and it was unfortunate. I may not have been the best experience for him to watch every week because I know people ripped on him a little bit on social media, which is unfortunate that happens in general, but it was really nice to have a comedic tone this season because it felt like a lot of it was pretty serious, so much strategy, all these people are just such great game players, but with Adam, Ben, and Tony, those guys really lighten the mood with their presence on the show. With Adam, it's like, here's someone who, granted, he's won the game once, but like he's a super fan, he's kind of representing everyone at home, and it's like, can you yeah. imagine being dropped into a game of Survivor and looking to your right and seeing Rob and looking to your left and seeing Sandra and all these other winners that you've grown up watching on TV. Like, I think he really kind of played that way too. Like it was this, you know, imaginary game almost come to life. 
Yeah, totally. What were your guys' thoughts on the edge of extinction in general? I'll start with you, Amy. I liked it for the fact that like it gave a whole different twist. And I liked, I, I wasn't at first a fan of the whole fire token thing, but I liked how something that happened on the edge was impacting the game. I thought that was interesting, but I don't think, especially Natalie coming back into the game, I don't think she got the respect that she deserved for how much she did on extinction. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, cause if you want, like I was watching a couple days ago, like, so after it was over, they had like, interviews with the jury and it was Denise, Ben and Sarah all talking about like who they would like, who they're considering voting for. And Denise and Ben flat out said, well, I didn't see Natalie play and her torch got snubbed. So I'm not going to vote for her, but she played an entirely different game of survivor that I think wasn't weighted as much as like playing the traditional game. I liked it. Well, I would say that Ben and Denise never spent really any time with her in the game aside from the first vote out. So they don't have, unless they are best friends with her outside of the show, they don't really have much of a social bond with her. And as much as the show likes to highlight the big moves and building a resume, I think it ultimately does come down to the social relationships. I think Natalie had a real chance of winning but it sounds like you sort of heard, I think, Rob ask a question about it. Why did Natalie become aloof from the big group of them at the edge of extinction? There's been some stuff that's kind of been coming out in some of the post-game interviews. I'm sure we'll find out much more this summer as Rob Sesternino does his deep dives. But it sounds like she didn't really have great bonds with the people on the edge which is unfortunate because i think that's really a great opportunity to get to become friends with the jury and get to know them so well and i think chris underwood really maximized on that in the original edge of extinction season yeah on the flip side with those two like never spending any time with natalie you had i think ethan came out and said in his post game like he never played with tony he spent a month with natalie like, yeah, it, it wasn't a case of him necessarily like disrespecting Tony, but yeah, just that you spend a month with someone versus you spend zero days with them, which is one of the issues I think with the whole expanded jury thing. But yeah, that's a, that's another topic. Um, yeah, everybody was on the, outside of Sandra. Everyone was on the jury, right? Yeah, yeah. So, Aaron, what do you think of the Edge as a whole? I mean, I don't like it the way it is the way, the way it's been in the first two seasons. Um, I think we talked a little bit on the, when we did the pregame, like I thought, okay, it's a decent idea. I believe my idea was you bring back the issues I have are a couple fold. One, someone coming back at final six is too late for me. I think my idea was you bring back one person around the merge and whether it's a physical challenge or I had the idea kind of make it like the outcast twist in Pearl Islands where someone gets voted back in by everyone else out there. But I think final six is too late. I think yeah. there, especially this year with the fire tokens, there was way too much of an advantage to being out there earlier than later. I mean, yeah, that was really weird able to amass all these fire tokens because she spent all this time out that she had the most time to 
yeah. to gather them. And all of a sudden, at the final challenge, she's got three advantages, an idol. She's buying an idol for Tyson in case he gets back in. She probably went home with a couple in her pocket. Um, <laughs> you know, you compare her to someone like Nick. Yeah. You know, Nick gets voted out. Nick's trying to get back in the game the next day. Well, Nick doesn't have any fire tokens. Well, Nick, he had just Nick spent had- them, too. But they had they had like a cutoff time where the fire tokens are taken out of the game, so he had to spend them basically. And then yeah, he doesn't. I was watching that. I'm like, Jeremy and Nick have no real. They're like they're basically being penalized for playing such a great game to get to well, as far as they did. And you look even the first challenge to come back. I think was it it was Yule who got voted out. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Right before that first challenge. Yeah. So, you know, everyone's got these advantages or idols and Yule's coming in. He just got voted out and, hey, try to get back in. Sorry, you've got no advantages. Hmm. So I think yeah. that I think if they're going to do the edge at all in the future, there needs to be some way. I'm not sure how to do it. Um, I haven't really thought that deeply, but some way to balance out so that it's not an advantage to be there longer. Because right, like, obviously I, that means you're getting voted out earlier. I liked the part of Edge where like fire tokens and stuff was being sent into the game, like the advantages or the disadvantages. I liked that part, but I agree that I don't think it was as fair. Nick gets, is the last person voted out before the Edge of Extinction competition. And then you've got Natalie, who's amassed every advantage she could get and somehow still almost wasted it like that needs to be pointed out um but that especially in the challenges i didn't think that was very fair well and even beyond the challenges too let's say nick manages to win that challenge somehow despite everyone else having these advantages all of a sudden well he hasn't spent that time bonding with people on the edge yeah no does he get you know, versus someone like Natalie, or theor- theoretically, you go back Chris Underwood um, in the original Edge, like that bonding time matters as much as we might want to think of it as like, oh, they've been out of the game. Why? Why would players give them their votes again? It's it bas- the jury basically boils down to who does the jury want to see win? Right. Like right. they want to vote for someone they they're going to be okay with winning and. You spend a month with someone, you spend two days with someone, obviously the bonds are going to be tighter, in theory, with the person you spend a month with. Um, I did like, with the fire tokens and the advantages, I don't like how far they took it in terms of how much of an impact uh, people on the edge could have on the people still in the game. But in theory, I did like that idea. You go back to the very beginning of Survivor before it was all about big moves and everything, one of the old adages was, okay, this game boils down to you have to vote someone out and then convince them to give you a million dollars. Yeah. And I think some of that kind of brought back some of that old school ethos where, okay, you're going to vote someone out and then you're asking them to kind of help you out in the game or disadvantage your foe in the game. And so I like that. I didn't necessarily like how much of that there was, but I like that that did kind of play an impact. Like, okay, those relationships, even when someone gets voted out, you vote them out, it might come back to haunt you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I 
kind of like the edge i think it's fundamentally flawed and if they're to do it in the future there are several ways that they can improve upon it but there are things about the edge that i like i like the fact that boston rob is voted out early and we still get to see him every week and we still get to see ethan have this experience just even the idea like i talked to reem daily from edge of extinction on this podcast about a month ago reem got to have the full survivor experience even though she was the first boot, even though she didn't come back in the game. She able she was able to get that experience being on an island for 30 days with these people. And I think in the original Edge of Extinction, they showed a little more of on season 38, where they showed, here's the, the backlash you get for voting someone out, where people are upset at you. And this is what, when someone comes to the edge and Reem is unhappy with them or Chris Underwood or whomever is upset... I love that stuff. It felt very old school to me. So there are elements to it that I enjoy, but it definitely, it certainly is flawed. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, if Natalie were to have won this season, it wouldn't have really ruined the season for me because I look at it as like, this is already an all-star season. There are already all these weird things going in. So for someone who's targeted early for really not, not really having much of a chance it's kind of nice that they get a chance to win their way back in because they already were playing at a handicap i think the edge worked for this game because one you need to convince these people you know all these people have won like you need to kind of sweeten the pot a little and it's like yeah okay you're not going to come out here get voted out day two and then be done and have no chance like i think that was a big part of it i think from a production standpoint you don't want to bring back all these big names especially like rob sandra parvati and then have them all get voted out one by one and you know you get them on tv for a week or two or three and that's it like you're guaranteed well except for sandra i guess who decided to piece out but <laughs> other than that you're guaranteed you have all these characters i did enjoy like in getting to see the character moments with the people out on yeah. the edge was nice, especially because it was a lot of the old schoolers yeah. and kind of, kind of throwing it back a little with them. I do wish, and I think in the future, if they have the edge, like there've got to be 90 minute episodes. Absolutely. There's just too much to, to try to cram into 60 minutes, especially now that it seems like they're doing more at tribal those yeah, they're making Tribal a full older. segment, and you watch the older seasons. Tribal, where Jeff asks the questions and stuff, is only like three or four minutes in like the first ten seasons, and that's a yeah. whole segment now. And that's yeah, including like- that they like show people's votes and comments and everything. And I, I think it's just too much to cram in. I think you get ninety minutes. Okay, you can expand on the edge a little bit without sacrificing, you know, some of the in-game talk or the character moments within the game. I mean, some of those this year, it's like, okay, that felt kind of old school. Some of the, the character type moments they yeah. had with the people in the game, like what was it? Sarah's fashion show. Yeah. That like, was I'm fun. Like, that's, that's something that they would have shown back in 2003. Like, yeah, <laughs> that, that was pretty nice. Love it. But it's like when you, you're juggling all these different segments, you have to get in, something's going to drop. And I think if, you know, and granted, it's up to CBS. They can't just unilaterally make them 90-minute episodes, but I think 
if they do do Edge in the future, I think 90-minute episodes helps alleviate a lot of that issue with either not getting enough of the story in the game or getting not getting enough of the story out on the Edge. I also wish Edge wasn't as packed as it was. Like, I wish, like, after the first um, game uh, competition where, like, when Tyson got back in, I wish everyone who didn't win that time was, like, they were done now. And then Edge restarted. Because by the end, when you have, like, the final Edge of Extinction, where there's, what, at that point, 14 on there? Like, it just got, yeah. there was too many of them. Yeah. I would have liked to see it, like, it'd be a lot smaller, almost adapting a little bit of, like, Redemption Island, where it's just, like, a small group of people at a time. It's like you're, you're still getting your chance. Like, yeah. you're not being yeah. having that taken away, but... You get one shot and you're done. Exactly. I agree. I also think on the 90-minute subject, even in a non-edge season, I would like to see a 90-minute Survivor. <laughs> I know the international seasons, the episodes are a little longer, and I think there are other there are other reality shows that have made that type of move. The Celebrity Apprentice ended up expanding the two-hour episodes and uh, the challenge is 90 minutes now. I know The Bachelor is two hours every single episode. I think there's a lot of stuff they could show, and then you could appease both the strategy fans who want to see the focus on the gameplay and the f- old-school fans such as ourselves. We could get more of those character scenes. I kind of like to just see how that would play out if they tried that out. They're 40 seasons in, and if the network is able to give them permission... This is the most watched show on CBS. It would be kind of interesting. Let's let's try it out. I think that could be kind of cool. Well, that and if it was expanded, I would love to see them bring back reward challenges. Well, they've been doing the rewards, but it's they always just didn't like do them. Reward and immunity together, or like there's a very occasional like. Remember, like early on seasons where like it was you had the reward challenge one day and then the next day you have, or like two days later you have your immunity. And then like way, way, way back, it was like the reward challenge with the car. And then there was the curse of the car because if you yeah. won the car, you did not win. And then they dropped that. But like, I loved the reward challenges. Cause sometimes even that brought in a weird strategy and like, who do I pick to go on the reward with? And, who do I want it to? I don't want someone to think that I'm like allying myself with this person if I take them to go on a helicopter ride with me. I miss that. Yeah, I think that was the best part about the reward challenge, and they've totally gotten rid of that because now the rewards are always team based, and yeah, that's the best drama of. All right, you can pick one more person. All right, pick another person. All right, this is your last person that you can pick, <laughs> and then you get stuff where like Rodney's upset that he can't go on his birthday and. It just created a lot more conflict around right. it. Right, I think like, that was better. If they expanded, totally agree. There needs to be more like strategy and gameplay in there. But like, I would love to see the return of reward challenges because those were like, it was a lot more lighthearted too. Like, even though everyone's serious and competing, there was no threat of someone's going home tonight either. So my next question for you guys. I definitely want to talk about Ben. We'll save that for right now. I got a question before we get to Ben. Uh, but I'll go start with you, Aaron. Who were, in your eyes, some 
one or two breakout stars for you watching this season because clearly the old school people were on the radar for all of us going in. Those were the people that we were most excited with some exceptions. Obviously everyone's a winner. So it's pretty cool to see these, all these winners back. And there are people from recent seasons who are really great TV in addition to those old school people. So who did you end up enjoying the most on this season that maybe was a little under the radar for you coming in? Um, I think one person, I don't know if she was necessarily under the radar for me, but I think with her, I was kind of hoping she would show like that she was, you know, a, not necessarily a deserving winner, but like someone who could play at this high level. And I think really acquitted herself well was Sophie. Um, obviously, Tony had to flip to get her out, and you know he he was afraid of her. And I think someone coming from a season like South Pacific, you're like, okay, she, I think she played good. You know, it seems like she, but you know, she's young. Can she do it against all these veterans? And I, I think with her, we really saw like, hey, like she she's right up there with some of the best. Um, and then I'll say Ben as well. I'll be honest, like Ben, I was not super excited about seeing come back. Like obviously like there was kind of the, um, stigma of how he got his (laughs) victory in heroes versus healers versus hustlers. It's like, I didn't really enjoy him watching him on TV the first time around. And I'm not going to say he played, necessarily a this great strategic game this time but you know i enjoyed him on tv and we'll get to it on your next question but like there were there were i feel like there was a lot more depth to ben this time than we got during his winning season and that that kind of made him more fun to watch in my eyes how about you amy so for me obviously like my big thing is i feel like some winners are super forgettable and some are like you remember forever but there are some like especially like in the 30s like some of the seasons that's like i haven't stayed so up to date with i've watched them but i've kind of like watched them once and i forget about them so for me adam was one of them and i thought the way he played i was like i i, I completely forgot adam won to be honest. And then I, when he was on the cast list, I was like, oh, he did one. So for me, Adam was one. And the other one was Sophie. I thought she played a lot more of a strategic game, and I liked it. But she also wasn't super loud about it either. Like, I, I which made me remember her a lot more. Because, like, I feel like in the 30s and, like, the late 20s seasons – there's so many that like you forget about them. So uh, some of the later season people, like I remember them a lot more now. Yeah. For me, it was Michelle Fitzgerald. I thought she was awesome this season. I, she was just, it wasn't, I didn't have anything against Michelle Fitzgerald, but clearly we talk about some of these newer people not being quite as memorable or as iconic. And that's not their fault. It's just the show was a bigger cultural phenomenon in the first 10 seasons. So Michelle, I, it was, I thought she had a great storyline going from, there was this big, there was some outrage when she won Korong and it was really sad to hear about how much it affected her and how she had to carry that around with her. 
Jeff Probst even said after the season that Michelle didn't deserve to win and that Aubrey should have won, which is crazy to me. Could you imagine Chris Harrison saying that the bachelor picked the wrong girl like days after? (laughs) Doesn't he already say that? I don't know. I don't watch the bachelor. I don't, don't, I'm just, I'm creating an analogy. I don't watch the bachelor anymore. I just, I just know with the bachelor, it always seems like they, like the TV show ends and then it, I don't know, maybe this is confirmation bias, but the next day they're broken up and with the other one, something like that. (laughs) <laughs> Which is why I've also stopped watching. The, the failure rate of a Bachelor couple it is astronomical. <laughs> uh, the Bachelor, oh my gosh, that's a whole other uh, show <laughs> to tackle later. But, um, you know, Michelle, even even Aubrey, was, wasn't really very complimentary of Michelle's game after Michelle won. Aubrey was kind of pouring gasoline on those flames and... She didn't outright say, hey, I should have won. But uh, typically when someone loses, they say, "Okay, this person deserved it, whatever. So Michelle, for four years, has had this whole thing of she people saying she was one of the worst winners ever. She didn't deserve it. And I think she came out there and I think she was a breakout character. She was a really great character. I think we got to see that she's funny and she's really likable. And you see why she won, that everyone likes her and that she just seems like an easy person to get along with on the show. But in addition to that, she just, I mean, she played an awesome game and got to the end. Once again, she's the only person that's played more than once to make it to the final in both appearances to have a 100% success rate because Amanda and Russell they did that but then they they didn't end up continuing that streak and neither of them won I think Michelle really showed that she's a great survivor player it's unfortunate she didn't get any wins but I thought she was also just a really fun character to have on this season and I came away very appreciative of having her on the screen. Well, and the thing for Michelle too, she never really had numbers. She never was like in the majority on any vote, but somehow survived week to week. And then you get to the point where Jeremy's been voted off. It's her and Nick and then the, the Alliance and it's okay. One of them are going home and that's when she wins and then she wins again. So like she won when she needed to, she found like alleys to get through when her name was coming up and somehow kept going and going. And then Natalie takes her to the end. Well, it's, I forget where I saw this. I think I read it or listened to it at some point this week. I don't know. I read it and listened to a lot of survivor stuff, but they almost compared Michelle to like a new age Sandra. Like anyone, anyone but me, except Michelle obviously has the, the physical capability of, winning challenges whereas yeah. Sandra, as she'll be the first to tell you does not and so <laughs> you know i think if you look at her gameplay in that way okay just and she i believe she made the point of this in the final tribal council like i just need to make it another day and then find a way to make it another day and through another tribal council and she did that and i think it's unfortunate she got no votes i think a lot of that was she was probably number two on a lot of people's yeah. three-person depth chart, but yeah. a couple have come out and said like they didn't want to risk not voting for Tony and having Natalie come in and steal the win. Um, so I don't know that the fact that she got no final tribal council votes is really 
indicative of how the cherry looked at her gameplay. Yeah, I think she is. I'm not a big fan of having conversations about who's the absolute best survivor player ever because like we talk about how these all-star seasons, some people just don't stand a chance at repeating success. But I think if you were to take some type of a measurement of if you were to have a hundred survivor simulations, I think in a, a high percentage of those, she's getting to that top three because she's not someone that's ever really going to ruffle any feathers. She's always going to contribute in the challenges. She's well-liked by people. She finds a way to just keep going and surviving. And I I, I do really think that she could be in that conversation for the best of all time. Well, she also doesn't, at first glance, she doesn't come off as a threat. Yeah, like Sandra has more of a threatening type of personality and Sandra also might get in arguments and stuff like that. Michelle doesn't do that. She's got much more of a calm persona. Well, and she she's not it. sitting she's not sitting out of every single challenge like yes. she's <laughs> contributing yeah. to those. The Sandra sit out bench. <laughs> yeah, I that was like funny. how I liked how Sandra just was basically like, "Hey, I'm going to be me this season and whatever yeah. happens happens." <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jack, do you remember what I said on the preview show? When Remind it came to me. The, when it came to the edge of extinction, I'm like, if if anyone would be the one to quit the edge, it would be Sandra because she yeah, realized, did say that. She, That's realized right. she would have no chance. And you look at what those <laughs> challenges were, and yeah, she would have no chance. I mean, look how far behind like someone like Danny, who is like super athletic, was during that last uh that last comeback challenge. Like, could you imagine where Sandra would have been? <laughs> do you guys think that Rob and Sandra got paid more to come back? Like, do you think they did something where they said, Hey, we're going to give you X amount of dollars to do Island of the idols. And then we'll match that on this season. And they just got like an appearance fee. I don't know if it's 250,000, if it's 500,000, but it's basically like, Hey, the, we really need you guys to do this. We can't do it without you guys. I don't know. Because at the beginning, Sandra made such a stink about, oh, I was with Rob for 36 days on Island of the Idols, and he said he would never come back, and now he's back. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and Rob said he changed his mind, too. So did they, like, increase the offer to Rob and said, well, we really need you for this, Rob. Well, we'll Amber will come. We'll give you this much money. Please do it. I could see it happening. Or I could see them retroactively upping what they got for Island of the Idols. Yeah. I would say I don't necessarily see them messing with the prize money. Cause, and I don't know. They don't fall under the game show rules anymore, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, with the way the contracts work. So I guess the altering prize money thing wouldn't be an issue. But I, I could see them making sure that okay we're giving you enough for island of the idols to make it worth your while to spend another season out here and and then sandra's like yeah, i get did my 16 days i'm done i'm not sitting out here for 23 more <laughs> yeah. but i will say though that if this season didn't include people like sandra and rob i don't think like, it wouldn't have had as much of like that winners that war feel because those yeah. they are the king and queen of survivor there's no they're the faces it. of the show i mean well, i don't know they build these statues the now it, well I, we'll get to that <laughs> debatable 
but the, the, they're the faces like you're, right. you're okay. talking about the most memorable male and female coming into the season yes of all time yeah, yeah. they are i think you yeah, you needed, I think that was part of their worry with trying to put together an all-winter season, which up until a couple of years ago, Probst said they weren't going to do, was yeah, you can't just throw 16 or 18 or 20 random winners out there. Like you've ha- You have to have the people to bring the gravitas to the season to make it feel big. I mean, it's the same thing you go back to the first All-Stars. Like They needed Richard Hatch there. Yeah, they needed you know some of the other big characters from Borneo. Rupert coming yeah. back right away. Like oh, you need those those characters, the most memorable ones. And so yeah, I think like that was a bit probably a big thing with them with casting this season is you know we've got to have some of the biggest names. Right. Let's get to the Ben conversation here. I thought that this was really just the best part of this finale. I thought it was just great TV, and it harkened back to the early days of the show that we all are fond of. Someone, it it reminded me a little bit of Colby Donaldson, where he said, I want to go against Tina in the final two. I don't, I want to go, and I might not beat her, but it's an honorable thing to do. And Ben came away. We'll talk about, I'll let you guys give your thoughts on this. Ben decides, hey, Sarah, you can vote me out here. I want to maintain our friendship. I'll fall on the sword for you. What do you guys make of this? I'll start with you, Amy. I, In a game full of so many people backstabbing each other, it was nice to see that he put the game aside. And like I felt that was like a real human moment. But at the yeah. same time, Outside of Tony being like the top person you thought could win, my next person in mind would have been Ben. So while he let Sarah survive another day, I think he also increased Tony's chances of winning at the same time. Oh, I think I didn't think back to Colby. I thought back to Ian and Palau was my oh yeah that final challenge. And yeah. after you know what, eleven, twelve hours, however long it was, they were up there. Saying, ah, I'm going to get down, vote me out. Um, and I ha- I kind of hate all the Monday morning quarterbacking going on with the move right now. Like people analyzing, well, Ben should have seen that staying in the game actually would have given Sarah a better chance to win, which, okay, maybe now as you're analyzing, it might be true. But when you've been out there on the island for over yeah. a month, I'm sure, like, you know, getting overwhelmed trying to go through all these scenarios in your head. Um, I liked it because it did feel kind of an older school. Okay, it's not all about the game. It's about yeah more than the game in his mind. You know, he was giving her a, a, an opportunity to help um, maintain her case at the final tribal council if she got there. I enjoyed the fact that she was a bit conflicted about it because she was thinking, okay, does this actually help my game to get rid of Ben here? You know, I think, again, Monday morning quarterbacking, maybe it would have been better to have him around to try to build fire. But in, in that case, you know, she looks at it and she's like, okay, th- this is my best opportunity to potentially make my case. You know, I, I just think it was a, it was the type of moment you don't see much nowadays. I think something we weren't really expecting going in. I think that really 
made it have a bigger impact. Like, oh, like he, he's giving up this chance to win, but you know, it turns out, you know, he came back later and said he was basically reading the jury and saw that at least in his mind, from what he saw, he had no shot at winning. So why go yeah. to the final three and get your game raked over the coals when you can try to maybe help one of your friends go on and win the game? Yeah, I think that Ben, it was interesting because he did not have a particularly favorable edit up to that point. And I'm curious to know how much of that was the way the jury was perceiving him. Because if that's if that's the way the jury was perceiving him, then and he was correct on his read that he didn't stand much of a chance to win at the final three, that he would value this other stuff over the game itself. He's already won a million dollars. And another thing I heard him talk about on Rob is a podcast, he didn't want to have the year-long anxiety of waiting to know if he won or not. He wanted to have <laughs> peace of mind knowing where that he ended his chapter the way that he did. And he knew that there was such a small percentage of him winning that he didn't want to freak himself out and stress over it. So all that stuff was very interesting to me. And it was so interesting for him to not have such a favorable edit. But then I think his real colors shine through that Ben's a really good guy. And he isn't just driven by wanting to win the million dollars. And it went back to that basic premise from the first season of how far will you go for the million dollars? In this case, $2 million. So there was a lot of just really cool human stuff factoring into that moment. Um, I will say, however, I do think that for Sarah, I think Sarah sort of fell a little bit of a prisoner to this idea that you have to build this awesome resume and stuff like that because I don't really think that Ben going out helped her game. Um, but I think that's, I don't, I don't like, we're Monday morning quarterbacking a little bit. I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking it as much on Ben's side as I am Sarah's side, if that makes well, sense. Well, you have to think this comes right after the, uh, the discussion of the gender bias at tribal council. Yeah. And so. Let's say she doesn't do this. They vote out Michelle or whoever. And she ends up sitting in the final three next to Tony. Okay, they've been together the for most of the game, but who's going to get credit for the moves? Right. Probably Tony. And so yeah. I'm guessing it's it gets in your mind, okay, like Tony flipped on me once to get Sophie out, but here I, I can get back at him and get Ben out and flip the game this way yeah did sarah think that her best chance was to be in the end with michelle and natalie to assure that a woman would win maybe that was the perspective that she was coming from and it worked for tony to be up against those (laughs) two so well i think it had take tony out put sarah in tony's place i think sarah had a really good chance of winning i i think it doesn't matter what I think because I wasn't there. I've only watched the show, but I think Michelle has a really great chance of winning in that well, spot. I, think I was going to say, I think you get a three-way split vote that, <laughs> that no matter, like you can ask them now, but they've seen the show and everything. We'll, we'll never know who would have won, but I think in that case, and again, this is where maybe the gender bias comes in. I think you get a close three-way vote that can go any of the three ways because 
they're three totally different games. And then you look at that and say, okay, well, Tony with those other two got 12 of the 16 votes. Why wouldn't Sarah get at least the plurality of them as well? Yeah, I think my thing with the, I'm not going to, I don't really want to get into the whole gender bias discussion, but I think the way I look at it, based on, again, it doesn't matter what I think, this is me just seeing it as a viewer, Tony's personality is just so much more infectious and contagious that you just, I feel like he would just be such a fun guy to spend all this time around for 30 days, just telling funny stories around the fire and just, he'd be fun. And whereas we hear a lot of people talk about Sarah being really awesome and really likable and really great, but I don't know how much that shines through on the TV. So it's tough for me to tell how much of it is a gender thing and how much of it is just that personal connectivity that the two would have against each other. Because it seems to me like Tony has more of a, just a more warm side to him. I can't see that. Yeah. I mean, just, just look at what, like his performance at the final travel council. Like, I mean, he was kind of answering the questions, but it was almost like this fun conversation between him and the jury. Whatever yeah. he was answering. Yeah, and it was he was just making people laugh the whole time. He he wasn't doing anything about oh yeah oh I I did this and I'm so much better than all of you. <laughs> but it, it was more just like oh I I built the I built the spy nest and it was really funny and I would watch you all. And my legs were shaking because I was sitting up there for so long while you guys were talking. <laughs> yes. And everyone cracks up. Yeah, know, exactly so disarming and that's where i think is it a gender thing or is it just the way that you are presenting it because i think sarah might just on a non-threatened and not on a gender level but you look at her she just comes off the screen to me as more of an intimidating type i mean they're both cops but she just seems like she's more in that cop mode on the island on the tv screen and we only, again, we only see an hour a week of the show and there are hours and hours and hours of content. So I could be totally wrong, but I think Tony might not see, come off as threatening the people in that regard. Yeah, I could see that, especially like when you go back and look at, obviously he had a such good, uh, uh, such a good performance his first time out, but when you given that his most recent game was him going crazy and getting voted out a couple people in, you know, okay, maybe that's what's in the forefront of people's minds. Yeah. We, we talked about that in our preview that we said, Tony's performance in game changers really helps him out. At least that's what I was thinking because yeah, he isn't as threatening. If he had had the type of game that he had this season only in game changers, then he would be a dead man walking. And that's why I think so much, I guess in general for survivor, I think survivor really, you simulate a season a hundred times and you could get 99 different outcomes. It's just, it's so random. So many things are so weird. And in a returning player season, there's a lot of unknown and a lot of things that can go into it. But I mean, Tony, let's think about it. He, number one, will, will, I will say he played an awesome game and he 
deserves his place in this conversation as the greatest of all time. But I will say that doesn't change the fact that he was put on a tribe with his best friend. Boston Rob wasn't put on a tribe with his best friend, right? And there another he was put on a tribe with his best friend, and there was a big target on this poker players alliance, and he benefited from that. He also could have when Sandra got idled out of the game, Sandra wanted to get Tony out there. He could have been done then. So uh, it, I think my main takeaway is that you can't let one survivor season and how it plays out dictate how you weigh all this stuff. If that makes I, sense. I, I, th- I think with Tony though, one of the things is I didn't even realize until the finale, he didn't have a single vote against. Him. Oh yeah. I'm like, wait a second. What? Like going back through my mind, <laughs> did I, Oh wow. That's, amazing but i think you look at him you know obviously you're not going to automatically crown the greatest of all time from one season but you look back at obviously his game in kageyan was great he comes back in game changers tries to play the same type of game turned up a level flames out totally just for him to go back and say okay that didn't work what do I need to do to be successful again and shift his gameplay Yeah, and do it so well in such a fashion that someone who probably had one of the biggest targets of the new school players on his back, despite what yeah. he did in Game Changers, was able to slide through without a single vote. I mean, you yeah. look at Sandra, how'd she win her two games? Exactly the same way. Like She played <laughs> yeah. the same game twice. She tried to change her game the third time around. Didn't work out so well, and obviously she didn't do great this year. You know, I think you have to give uh, Tony a lot of credit for that in that the ability to not only recognize, hey, my style of play was good to win once, but I've seen it can't work again. What do I need to do? And then successfully adapting and we've seen the end result here, obviously. Um, I think he has to get a lot of kudos for that. Totally. Amy, you got any thoughts on this? Well, my big thing about Tony, if you write down Tony's game on paper, he played a strategically really good game just on paper. He won, I mean, in his two seasons of playing before, he'd never won an immunity challenge. Now he wins four, right? Four? (laughs) Yeah. Total four. Yeah. Wins four. He's the entire time on the right end of every single vote that he's a part of. He's strategically plucking people off without making them feel terrible about being voted off. And he's cultivated an alliance that stayed with him until it was him and Sarah building fire. He played every part of the game that like gets you far. He played all of them really well. So after coming out of Game Changers, where he played a terrible game, <laughs> I think he made a complete 180. He was awesome this season. I'm, I'm trying to think, is there anyone else that we have seen adapt their strategy as much as Tony has out of re- returning players? Like, That's even a not good just question. Minutes, I'd probably have to think a little longer, but you think it Maybe. Like, just like about Boston Rob, like he's pretty much played the same type of game <laughs> yeah. on our cases through 
now, you know, you, you look at Ethan's the same kind of way. I like, I mean, out of the winners here, I can't think of anyone who played super duper different. And well, how about, here's one. How about someone like Colby in Heroes vs. Villains, where he's a little more under the radar, and he came pretty close to winning, but we didn't really see a whole lot of his story, unfortunately, on Heroes Villains. I guess part of that for him, I guess, out of necessity, too. I mean, he wasn't yeah. the young buck anymore who could roll through every single immunity. But I think yeah. you know, just thinking about that and how we've had so many returning players and how many of them have really adjusted their games. And of those who have, how many of them haven't worked out well. I mean, again, I think that's another, the point in the, in the Tony column, especially I'm not going to sit here and rank the greatest of all time. Like, yeah, obviously Rob's considered one of the best, but again, Rob from Marquesas through this season, as we saw with the buddy system, like, He's played the same game. He's trying to control <laughs> yeah. everything and everyone going all the way back to, Hey, Hunter's got to go because I'm going to be the alpha male. Yeah. You know, it worked in one time for him when he was able to control his tribe mates and roll to a win. And, you know, another time in all stars, it worked out well enough for him in life, if not the victory <laughs> in the game, but the other three times it hasn't worked out as well. But for Tony to recognize he needed to change, and I, it can't have been easy for him. I mean, you his no. personality just exudes through the screen. <laughs> yeah. so, and we heard him do confessionals, and he talked about a pregame like, "I'm going to try to be calm. I'm going to try to sit around and help my camp <laughs> and not look bridles. Wish me luck." <laughs> for him to successfully <laughs> do that in that environment, knowing what was on the line and who he was playing with, I mean, it's. The more I think about it, the more impressive it is. I think that this topic of who could play differently and all that, it really, we need to get season 50. We need to get our friend Johnny Fairplay on there because that's what I'm really curious to see. But that that would be interesting. (laughs) But going, like, having Johnny Fairplay back, like, the whole point of why he's so iconic and legendary is the way he played. I would hate to see him change his game. Well, he said on this podcast, I said, how would you play? He said, you'll see if we get there. I didn't want to give any notes away, so we'll see. But the whole (laughs) idea of Johnny Fairplay is this guy who doesn't play by the rules, is a snake, is a sneak, (laughs) and to see him go from like a villain type character to go be a hero on another season or be well-liked. Like, that's not Johnny Fairplay at that it, point. It, it almost makes me think if he tried to do that, he'd get the, like, production would throw him under the radar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, I, he's one of those players that, like, while it'd be great to see him come back, I would want to see him come back as what he was on Pearl Islands. I wouldn't want to see him come back as, like, like Parvati, we see this season. Parvati, you know her social game is like a big time flirt. Now she's a mom and a wife, and she's not a big time flirt, and that took away her game. Yeah. Well, okay. So I want to add one more thing about Tony here because now we're going in a whole different direction. I will say one other thing that I think helped Tony, and I'm a I'm in agreement with you guys. He played a dominant game. 
I think any time that the jury votes you to win a million dollars, you deserved it. I don't I don't ever want to say that the jury voted for the wrong person. I hate that notion. I think it's awful. Uh, Tony deserved to win this season. He is a great face for this franchise moving forward. And I think he was just a great representative of this season. I will say one other thing that worked in his favor. If you're going to give $2 million to someone, would you rather give it to a 30-year-old single who doesn't have a family, or would you rather give it to a cop who's married and has kids? Just throwing that out well, there. Well, that, that goes back. I mean, that was a big thing back in Pearl Islands, so not not to go back yeah. there, but that very idea when Lil was deciding who to go loose to in the final tribal council, Johnny Fairplay, who's going to blow the million dollars on all sorts of stuff, or Sandra, <laughs> who has a family. You know, that and that she said, like, that was a big part of her decision. And, you know, I think... I don't know how much it necessarily came into play here, but I could imagine maybe it did a little bit, just given how many of the jury members, because the season skewed older, are married or have families. I don't think it was necessarily the the deciding factor, but I, I yeah. see it kind of coming into play a little bit. But we've I would seen say that... that was something that worked against Michelle. And we've seen that in past seasons too, where like some people will come on and I'm drawing a blank on like a specific person, but you have someone come on who like, they have a really high, like high paying job or they're a former pro athlete or some kind of like something where like you automatically know that they've got money. No one's going to want to give you a million dollars because you don't need it. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, that's always played a factor. It's not a big factor, but it is a factor. Totally is. I know I heard stories about Cambodia when Jeremy won that that was definitely a thing. Do you want to give it to 23-year-old Spencer or do you want to give it to the fireman with a family? And that obviously there are other factors to it. And that doesn't mean, um, again, I'm not. that's not tainting the way someone played the game. Everyone, if you ever win a jury vote, you deserve to win the season. That's that's how this works, at least in my opinion. That's another reason why they all saw Jeremy as being so dangerous, too. A couple other things to discuss here. For each of us, I'd like I'd love for us to go around and share what was your favorite moment from this season. I'll start with you, Amy. Oh, the family visit. That was pretty cool. Oh my gosh, I was crying. <laughs> I mean, like I oh like let's be honest with this entire quarantine thing. I cry at everything now. So <laughs> my emotions are already at a new high, but I mean, and normally when like the families come out, it's like one person or your best friend to tell you that your grandma died or, you know, like it's <laughs> one part of your family. It's not, here's your wife and here's your kids and here's your fiance and here's your aunt, uncle, brother, sister, roommate, whoever it was like, it was the full family. And then you see like some of these players that like, when they played the first time, they were single 20-somethings. And now here's Tyson with his wife and child. Here's Parvati. Like, it was it was so special. And then to even bring the families to the people on Edge of Extinction was just as special, too. So, like, the entire family visit, like, by far was my favorite moment. Yeah, it was fun. How about you, Aaron? I will agree. That, that was good. 
Um, I'm kind of surprised Robin Amber's kids didn't have fire tokens coming out of their pockets. <laughs> um, I'll say my my favorite moment, and it's nothing against the rest of the season, because as I've said, I enjoyed it. But just that first few minutes, they come in and all 20 of them are on the beach there. And it's like, this is happening. Like something I don't think anyone thought they would actually ever going to be able to pull together. And you see them all lined up and just in the one big shot, like the one almost panoramic of the 20 of them with Prope standing there in the foreground. And it's like, this, this is awesome. Like the fact yeah. that they've managed to pull this off, regardless of how it would have turned out. Like that was, I mean, how excited was I coming into this season? Like, yeah. this was as excited as, as I've been for a season. I think I said since at least like heroes versus villains. And so I, I think that for me was, and again, not that I didn't enjoy the rest of the year, but just that, that moment, like those first few minutes were pretty awesome to me. Yeah. I both those moments were great. Mine is more of a comedic moment and maybe it's just cause I'm such a Boston Rob fan, but I loved the moment at that second or third tribal council where Rob is just like, all right, we're going to find out who has the idol. Everyone empty your bags. Uh, there was a controversial <laughs> point in the season, but I just thought that was just hilarious, really fun TV. Boston Rob being Boston Rob, and then having someone like Adam pushing back to it and seeing the contrast of old school versus new school. I, I, I love that. I thought that was a fun moment. Watching anyone uh, was... try to go toe-to-toe with Boston Rob is amazing. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty good, and you know I enjoyed as cheesy as it was too. The everyone hugging him after the tribal council mm. after the family visit was, <laughs> which which you know like how much you know how much did they slip into Rob's pocket to make sure he instigated that? <laughs> <laughs> because of course he was the ringleader of that, right? But mm. like just the fact they left that in again, the little like moments like that. That was great. I love the another one. I love that challenge that where um, Rob and Adam's tribe came back, and Adam finally jumped. And he that was like I don't enjoy the challenges as much as I once did, but that was a challenge that I just love seeing. That Rob had just gotten destroyed on a puzzle uh, a couple of rounds before that, and they came back. He solved that puzzle, and Adam finally, after jumping up like four times, finally grabbed that whatever it was from that uh, thing that was hanging up. (laughs) Well, Jack, you've made this point to me years and years ago when we would watch seasons back at Alpo, where Jeff, during a challenge, is an entirely different person now than he used to be. Yeah, It used to be like he was almost like drill instructor Jeff, where like... (laughs) do it. You can't fail. You're a failure. If you fail, like, I mean, it was a lot more just straight down the line. Now it's Jeff's rooting for Adam to jump and get the thing. So his team doesn't completely fail. It's a completely different Jeff, but I also kind of miss the old Jeff in that, in that regard too. Yeah. In the, the first version of Jeff where he just was off to the side during the challenge and then they just play some background music as the challenge went on and it would say like, uh, there's that classic shot. I'm sure Aaron remembers it from Pearl Islands, where they 
Andrew Savage, uh, the Morgan tribe, they all took off their, the, all the guys did the challenge naked because one of the guys, pants kept falling down and they didn't want to embarrass him. <laughs> and so then it says Morgan behind on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Just like, and yeah, you just watch a challenge nowadays versus the early seasons or even the middle seasons. And it's a completely different method of, uh, Jeff integrating himself into the challenge to the point where he's got called out on it before. Yes. He has. So, okay. I think we pretty much said everything we could on season 40. I will give you guys each a chance uh, before we leave. If there was anything else you wanted to add that you didn't get to talk about. Uh, But I feel like we covered pretty much everything we could moving forward. Season 40 being this epic season that finally came to fruition after all these years what needs to be done next what what do you want to see aaron you mentioned the first boots is that is that where you would go is that the next type of uh returning player season that you want to see come to fruition well i'll tell you what i don't need to see is a bunch of 16 year olds trying to play the game (laughs) oh my gosh when he mentioned that like we're casting if they're 15 16 17 it's like no i don't want to see those kids There's the reason Kid Nation lasted one season. I liked Kid Nation. I like Kid Nation. Nation. Season two, I would have wanted to be. I'm watching Kid Nation for the first time right now. Don't knock Kid Nation. (laughs) But it's like there's a reason American Idol Junior didn't work. Like, like this. I mean, I think this season's a good showing. Like, hey, a more mature cast, people in their 30s and 40s can work. It doesn't just yeah. need to be all about get as many single 20 something year olds out there. Yeah. That's what big, um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think first boots, I think, I don't know, down the line, like for 50, I guess, like, where do you go from here? Since like winners is almost like the pinnacle of what you could do. Right. Yeah. So it's like, where do you go from here in terms of, if you're going to have, theme return seasons which i assume they will because they've shown they like bringing back these either these fan favorites or get a whole group of returnees back um i don't i don't really know where they go from here like what could you do for 50 to top 40 what do you think amy i have always said i'd love to see a first boot season i don't want it to be next season because yeah. like I think after a full winter season, yeah. I want to see a full season of brand new people. Because I feel like this one, like see, Winners at War closed the chapter. The, it's the players that we've loved for decades. Now they're gone. Now we restart. Like it almost feels like New Year's again for Survivor. <laughs> so like next season, I'd like to see all new people, but down the line, somewhere between 40 and 50, I would love to see a first boot season. Clearly with Natalie coming back in, like I think she could have had a really good game had she not been the first person voted out. And I've thought that about a lot of people. So I'd love to see a bunch of people who never got a chance to even get going. They stumbled out of the gate and got voted out. I would love to see how they would have played the game because they've never been tested. So I think part of it for me, again, like Jack knows, I've read Mario Lanza's stuff forever. And like, I was really intrigued. He did these like all-star survivor 
I won't call them fanfics because they're like super more. <laughs> they're almost like not. Don't call them fanfics. He won't want to come back on this podcast if you do. No, no. But they're, I mean, they're great. Like, I don't know how many times I've reread these things just because he does such a good job with like diving into all the characters. And like he did one of them was Survivor Greece, where it was all pre-jury people. And it's like just trying to get into the psyches of these early boots. I think that as much as anything really intrigued me for, okay, like if these people got a second chance, you know, what would they do differently? Like even to the question, would they vote out a first booty first again, which we saw with Francesca, like that's happened, (laughs) you know, and just kind of the, you know, you could dive into like how, you know, obviously everything's all great for the winners that come back. Like they've all won a million dollars. Well, how has survivor affected the lives of, the first booth like there yeah. there's a lot of different directions they could really dive deep with that group i feel like if if there's enough of them to come back and if it's not maybe if it's not a first boots maybe you do something like pre-jury boots yeah like people who've played like one time and didn't right. or didn't make the merge and the good thing about them even though they'd be technically returning people we don't know their game nobody knows their game even a super fan doesn't know their game because we never got to really see it get going yeah. So there's still a lot of mystery around anyone who would come back pre-merge or first boot. We don't know how they'd play. And it'd be interesting to see how many of them, even going up to that first tribal, how differently they'd play. I feel like that first like couple days, like that first episode would be wild because none of them want to be, once again, the first ones voted out. And it would be nuts to watch and it'd be fantastic. I would really love to see the first boot. I would love to get Reem back out there, good friend of the podcast who joined me a few weeks ago. Another idea Reem was talking about, she would love to see a season where I don't really know how you would label this because maybe the people you put on it wouldn't really love the fact that they're being called loose cannons, but what about a season of just as many Philip and coaches and John Rockers and Alan Balls and Chris Nobles just fill up a whole season of Nora and Debbie and all these people. I think that'd be really funny. A season of hotheads? <laughs> I don't know what how you categorize them yeah. other than none of these people have won. I do like the idea of doing another second chances type of season where the fans can vote in because I think there are a lot of people who still would fit the bill there. T-Bird needs to get back out there. I think she's going to get a lot more votes now that she has the RHAP following. I I think, but I definitely would love to see first boots. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And it, we got to just hashtag get Reem back on Survivor. <laughs> I, I, I think there's just, there's not a whole lot of ideas left, I feel like, where unless you're finding the people you want to bring back and then trying to shoehorn a theme around them. I think, I think a lot of with returnees, you've done a second chance. You've done all stars. You've done heroes, villains, you've done fans versus favorites. You've done winners now. Like, you know, how how many other iterations are, are there to say, Hey, these are people who've played before coming back. Does it have to be a theme though? Like, why can't you go back to like, I mean, me personally, I would love to see brand new people back to the like original survivor, a bunch oh, of yeah. randoms who don't have any connection other than the fact that they want to be on survivor. And 
we we all agree on that, Amy. I think we're talking about when they inevitably do the next right. returning player season. Well, well, I agree. I agree with Amy. Like, I'd love. I think. I mean, I've seen this opinion all over the internet. Like, do a back to basics season, but don't tell mm-hmm. them that going in. Yeah. Okay. There's 16 of you. Two Travis eight. We're merging at 10. Have fun. And our friend Andrew Stem was texting me the other day, and he. If you guys might not know this, he was a big Survivor fan for about the first 15 seasons or so. And he was texting me and he said around 16, 17, once the people had seen the show enough and they knew how to play and they knew how to work around it, it wasn't interesting to him anymore. He loved just Borneo and Australian Outback in Africa where they hadn't seen the show and they're figuring it out on the fly. And they're figuring out this construct of alliances. So what if they did something like Back to Basics and all the people are just recruits who have never seen the show before and they don't show them any tape of the show? Well, I think that's part of what they've tried to do with all these different advantages and twists they've thrown into the game was because, okay, people know how to play. Yeah. What's the next step we can do to keep them on their toes? And uh, maybe maybe there's not any... Um, push from within the group of producers maybe go back the other directions well if they're expecting all this will really knock them off their feet if none of can, <laughs> like, can you imagine someone running around looking for an idol all day and all <laughs> that doesn't with, exist yeah, yeah. or, or oh, thinking, be great or thinking oh I'm going to edge of extinction even if I get voted out and nope sorry you're done no, I think like bring it back to like how it all started is where you go from here. Yeah, I agree. I would love to see that. Unfortunately, I don't think Jeff Probst uh, really wants to go in that direction, but we will see. I think the only other returning player format that could be tapped into with a theme is if they did something, these are all the people who made it to the end and didn't win a jury vote. So they're runner-ups or second runner-ups. Or if they did something where it was like a tribe of first boots and then the other tribe is the runner-ups. And then wouldn't it be crazy if you're three weeks into the season and the first boot tribe is just smoking these more of an all-star type tribe? Yeah. yeah. I like that. I'm really like, I kind of want to go back now and like take into the cast of the past and see what I could come up with for like okay what would a first boot game look like potentially (laughs) you know what Aaron if you are up for it (laughs) so I'm starting up this new website jackvita.com if you want to write something for it I'd love to put it out on there and I'll uh it be under your name I'll have to to look into that it's not like I got a lot else going on right now (laughs) (laughs) but hey here's the question would would Sonya come back at 83 years old to take the mantle from Rudy of oldest player to play the game? Oh my it w- gosh. It would be great if she did, but I, unfortunately I don't think that would happen. Sadly. <laughs> How impressive. Like, it's just impressive to me. Like she's like 83 years old, still alive today. Like, I, it's awesome. It is awesome. So, okay. The last thing here, last order of business. So Jeff Probst said, At the end of the show, we are committed to having Survivor in the fall. It will happen. 
And then he, he said something kind of funny where he was like, bring me your 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds. No, no, no. <laughs> the way he said it, first of all, just sounded funny. <laughs> well, yeah. So I'm curious, what do you think this means? Because it, I, is this going to be Survivor in the U.S. somewhere that they're going to use some type of a nature reserve out in Colorado or New Mexico or something like that? What do you guys think? Because currently they aren't filming with the COVID-19 and it does seem like it's going to be a little difficult for them to travel for the time being. I, I think, I think part of it was him just trying to keep everyone's hopes up. Like, yeah, you don't, you don't want to end the three hours on a downer. Hey, we don't know when we'll be back. So see you whenever. Um, so I think part of it was just, Hey, we're, we're going to work. Com- like saying you're committed to giving you a season of all, okay, like things happen, it might not be able to happen down the line, but we were committed to doing it until things happened. But yeah, I think part of it too is by filming in the U.S., you probably have less in the way of age restrictions than in terms of flying people out to Fiji um, to tape out there in terms of you know liability with you know under with minors and stuff like that so i'm guessing it's probably part of both um again i don't know if i need need or want to see 16 year olds playing survivor (laughs) but we'll see if that ends up happening i don't so much care as like where they film it i want another season of survivor i absolutely do not want to see high schoolers on survivor <laughs> this is, like I, I mean like every show that's been a successful reality show the second you add junior to it is a failure there's been so you think you can dance junior dancing with the stars junior american idol junior like it doesn't work ninja warrior junior is still on the air right somehow. parker gatewood <laughs> is somewhere rolling eyes because i'm saying anything with junior is bad but sorry parker um but I don't want to see kids playing a very strategic game. I don't want to well, see it. And I think it's not good I for mean, their I psyche remember, either. Yeah, I remember when it was a big deal when they lowered the age from uh from twenty one to eighteen. But I think they've done a good job. Um, in the meantime, when they haven't gone to that eighteen through twenty range too often, and for the most part, when they have, they've ended up being pretty well-adjusted players who you don't think of as being 18 to 20 years old. You don't see them any differently than like a 23-year-old out there. But my fear is if you dive further down, there's more of the risk of, I mean, yeah, I mean, you get the adults come off the show and we had a bunch of talk this season about how much it affects them coming back into real life after playing Survivor. And now you're going to, put that on a 16 year old kid yeah yeah i I also like i can't imagine enjoying watching like a 16 and let's say a 40 year old on the same tribe like it doesn't (laughs) sound like enjoyable television at the end of the day i will say it could the the good thing that could come out of all of this is 
taking a break from being in Fiji all the time. I don't like having a permanent home for Survivor. I love when it used to move around and they used to embed different cultures into the theme of the show. And so if it's somewhere in the U.S., that could be kind of cool. Maybe this could be kind of fun and we can do something cool with it. Even if, let's just say they take a year's break from Fiji. I think that's good because one of the things you don't yeah. think about watching the show, but has come up is when you tape in the same location so many times in a row, like just the amount of stuff that's there to use or to eat, like gets depleted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you get, get maybe give it a year off and okay, like some of the food grows back or some of the, you know, trees for the, for the uh, hut or whatever. Also, like way back in the original seasons, when they would like do the opening to a new season, it'd be like, there's this dangerous animal and this terrible environment and the monsoons happen and this, that and the other. And like it gave a feeling of more of a survivor and a survivalist mentality. Now, I mean, you're you're surviving a social game, not so much a social and ecological game it's almost like you're on a sound stage now right like they yeah i mean they could easily just rebuild a fiji looking island in florida find like rent out a beach yeah put some palm trees up you know like you wouldn't know the difference maybe see if they can uh rent that ufc island that dana white was talking about (laughs) that he has (laughs) yeah they could get fire island and just fire fest all over (laughs) all right guys we have to wrap up here is are there any other thoughts that you had on this show that we did not get to talk about today aaron i'll start with you i'll just say like it's you know even as popular as survivor was in the early seasons i don't know that any of us would have seen it like it's about to hit the 20 year anniversary of the first episode i don't know that anyone would have expected it to still be on and you can say what you want about the, the changes and whether you've liked them or not along the way, but the fact that so many people still watch it week in, week out, and we just managed to get a season with 20 former winners is pretty awesome. I'm in complete agreement. I mean, when I, when the first season was on, I was six. Like, I'm 25 now. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it's amazing that a show that I was watching as a kindergartner has somehow lasted with new seasons all the way up into my adulthood. So I'm like, I wanted to continue. I always said like when I was a teenager, when I get old enough, I'm going to apply. But like, what if Survivor is not on? And now it's like, I'm seven years past when I could have applied. I still haven't. But, (laughs) (laughs) but like, I mean, it, it, growing up, it's like, I want to be on that show one day. And it's like, will it even be around for when I'm eligible to do it? So to see it last as long as it has, like, I'm happy and I wanted to continue going. Yeah, totally. All right. I'm on the same page with you guys. What are we watching now? Is there any other reality TV shows to enjoy for the time being? I know. Amy, have you uh, have you checked out the challenge on MTV at all? I with have, all the big like, brother people on there in past years, like watched episodes of it. And I'm just kind of like, nah. I like I don't know <laughs> what it is, but. I just I can, it's a little too uh it's a little too raunchy. There's a little yeah, too much partying. It's too much real world for me, and not as enough yeah of like actual gameplay. And maybe that's coming from like an entire background of watching Survivor. I want more of that and less of 
feeling like I'm watching an MTV show. Yeah, fair. Well, they have four, no, five former Big Brother people on it, and Jay Starrett from Survivor Millennials versus Gen X. And uh, so there is a little bit of reality TV going on, but it hasn't been particularly good of a season so far. We'll see if that changes. Aaron, has there been anything reality TV-wise that you've been watching? How are you uh, passing the time? Um, I did watch. I binged it like when I first discovered it, which was a couple weeks after it first came out, but The Circle on Netflix. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Um, I know there's some international seasons out there I could watch, but I was actually looking at maybe going back. I know I was, you know, I thought about this because I went through my entire DVD collection, completely forgot. <laughs> I had the first season of Amazing Race. Oh, yeah. Ooh. And I'm like, CBS All Access has all the seasons, right? Yes. Hey, are if you I on CBS All Access? I am. So, yeah. There's a good chance I, uh, I start here to, uh, to try to binge some of those. And I watched, I don't know, the first. I want to say like seven seasons or so of The Amazing Race, and then just kind of, again, time, other stuff going on. It wasn't as into it as Survivor, but you know, now's as good a time as any to, to go back and maybe catch up on some of the seasons I haven't seen. I did a column a few weeks ago, 10 reality TV seasons to watch during quarantine. I had two or three Amazing Race seasons on there. There's uh, The Apprentice and Celebrity Apprentice is available to watch for free on a streaming service as well. So plenty of great options out there. You know what's amazing? Even though like how much I love Survivor, I am not a big reality show person. I don't know. Well, you love Big Brother, though. I like I have not watched Big Brother for years. Oh, really? I like I think the last season I watched of Big Brother was like Jeff and Jordan season. Yeah, that's that was a while ago. Yeah, like for whatever reason, like Big Brother to me, like just it it fell off. I mean, like and like I said when we started this, Big Brother is actually how I found Survivor. Yeah. So the fact that like Big Brother has completely (laughs) dropped off for me, I just it it got too much of like a social like gossipy whisper game, and I'm I, I don't like that and. So, no, I don't watch a lot of Outsider Survivor and Amazing Race on occasion, but I don't even keep up with that entirely. I'm not a big reality show person. You guys should definitely watch Amazing Race 31 that aired last year with the Big Brother and Survivor folks, Rupert and his wife on there. That one is a great season. I highly recommend it. Let me guess. Does Rupert wear tie-dye? Of course. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Rupert by far is my favorite Survivor player, like, forever. I, he's, oh, I love Rupert. That's so nice of you, Amy. <laughs> and he's just, like, I mean, he's, like, a perfect guy. Like, I mean, he was, like, super fun, had enough humility to, like, wear a skirt. Like, I mean, yeah. like, him being on Pearl Islands with, like, the pirates and the Morgan and Drake tribes, and he's, like, Blackbeard the pirate and then Hagrid in a skirt. Like, my gosh, how can you not fall in love with Rupert? Now, but, oh, yeah. Not to get down a wormhole here, but Mike, that's <laughs> one of the best casting decisions for a specific yes. season in reality TV history. Yes. Yeah. Rupert, Rupert is a pirate. <laughs> I could do oh, an gosh. entire, like, TED talk on how fantastic Rupert was of about everything. 
Should we just do like a Pearl Islands rewatch podcast this summer? Like, (laughs) we all love Pearl Island. It's so good. Well, even like the beginning, and I'm going too far, but like even the beginning where like they're just like dropped in this village. Here, barter yourself. Rupert steals everyone's shoes. Lil, (laughs) it it was just fantastic. But another podcast for another day. Yeah. Sorry. You mentioned Rupert. I go on a tangent. We're having so much fun. (laughs) Amazing Race will not be back until the fall, it looks like. It was initially going to come back uh, this week, actually. It was going to air right after Survivor. But this Amazing Race season that they have in the can was actually filmed two years ago. And CBS keeps putting off its release. But they're going to have to air it at some point. So hopefully that will come out sometime soon. Uh, But... Amazing Race, always a great decision in the meantime. Okay, guys, before I get you out of here, what would you like to, would you like to throw out your social media handles? Would you like to plug anything that you've been working on lately? I'll go with you first, Amy. Gosh, I don't even know what my Twitter handle is. <laughs> I'm t- like, I'm the worst. It, it's my first name and my middle name and my and initials. Like, Amy Lynn VDH on Twitter. Like, I, I have nothing. I work every day. That's all I do. I don't work on anything. Watch the news. <laughs> yeah, be informed. Watch the news. There you go. There we go. Um, I'm, at, I'm at underscore A-M-L-E-A-V-I-T-T on Twitter. I'm tweeting a lot less about sports right now than I normally do because we obviously haven't had sports for a couple months, although I am not to date exactly when we tape this too much. I'm getting ready to watch NASCAR because it's oh, on yeah. it's sports. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm on there. Follow me if you want a complete random hodgepodge of stuff. Um, I am kind of proud of the uh, Valpo women's basketball season recap I put together. Um, if you go to valpoathletics.com and go to the women's basketball page, did a little like kind of mini oral history of this past season, which was their best in about in like 14 years so that was kind of fun to put together i'm starting to have a theory that you may be the good luck charm aaron i don't know like maybe (laughs) (laughs) there were there was an insane stat i forget the exact numbers but between my years with men's basketball and then moving to women's basketball this year like over the past seven years or so i've seen our teams come back from down double digits digits to win like 24 times and we've given up and we've given up a double digit lead and loss just once whoa (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) that's so so cool it was uh no it it was they were a lot of fun this year and i was glad i got most of the season in with them their conference tournament obviously got canceled but um just missing sports right now like this is (laughs) Literally, the longest I've gone without working a sporting event since I was in like high school. So that was a while ago. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, guys, we got to wrap this up for now. But thank you all so much for joining me. I think we've found this is the Survivor crew. Uh, when we get, hopefully, we get Survivor season forty-one in the fall. We can all check check in and give our early thoughts on that one. This is a good. This is a good mix. It's a good trio right here. Love it. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys.
What an outstanding job there from both Aaron Levitt and Amy Vander Hayden was so much fun talking with them today about Survivor Season 40, Winners at War. I hope all of you enjoyed this episode. I hope you all enjoyed Season 40 of Survivor. We are now in the Survivor offseason, so hopefully Survivor can return to our screens in the fall. We will see. I'm praying that we get through this time, and I know we will. I know God is good. I know God will bring us through this current season, COVID-19. I'm praying for all of you. I hope everyone is taking good care of themselves and staying healthy. Season 40, I think what made this a really cool season is we talked about some of our gripes with returning player seasons in this episode I think a common trend for returning player seasons is they start out very strong because you see all these characters and then slowly but surely they're all voted out. Uh, A lot of our favorites go home early. And so what ends up happening is they start out strong and then they kind of fade away as the season goes on. I actually thought this season improved in the second half, believe it or not, which I think is really unique for this as an all-star season despite losing all of those big old school personalities we still had a really exciting second half of the season there were some great episodes the episode where tony got extorted was just a blast it was so much fun also want to say that while i brought up a couple of points about tony's game i my takeaway was not to really diminish anything that Tony did this season. Rather, instead, I was just trying to bring up that Survivor is a game of luck, and sometimes you need, in or, well, I should say, you always need stuff like stuff to turn out in your favor that you can't control. And Tony had a couple of those things. I think every winner has a couple of those things. It goes to show that there's so much of the game that is not in your control and you can only do so much. So I'm so happy to see Tony win. He's an awesome guy and I, he was just amazing TV the whole way through. So yeah, again, hope you all enjoyed this season. Hope you all enjoyed this episode. I will be back sometime this week with an episode on the final episode of the last dance on ESPN, this awesome docu-series on Michael Jordan's Bulls, the final year, the 1998 Bulls. So I hope you all will join me for that. Until next time, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters.